I've, I've got some information. I've got some information from you from the shipping container. Some dude on Twitter says he's going to LA. Oh really? Yeah. Well, that's it. That's the, some dude who apparently is close to LeBron is tweeting people, telling them, "Trophy time! Get ready!" To all the people in LA, tweet Kyle Kuzma, you tweet a carry champion, you know, all the Laker luminaries. Right. But who is this dude? Like I have dudes, you know, they're tweeting me that he's coming to Miami. So. He's, he's some dude. He's he's no inferno. Let me put that way. He's no inferno. No, he's okay. just some dude need to pump up my main man cuffs. First of all, we like on this show and in life, I like to buy value stocks, buy them low before they pop, right? You like to buy low, sell high. I told you guys about Cuffs the Legend a while back. He's been uh, out there, you know, Kevin Durant's in his Instagram mentions. Uh, He's friendly with LeBron. He's got an in with the NBA players. I'm just telling you guys, you want to buy an early NBA stock. This guy is funny. He's interesting. He's plugged in. You've got to kind of read between the lines as to what he's saying on some stuff. Our next guest is an NBA analyst, a basketball trainer, and a social media influencer. He goes by the name of Cuffs the Legend. And you can follow him on Twitter right there. At Cuffs, C-U-F-F-S, The Legend. I see you little lurkies. I see all you little lurkies out there watching the Some Dude Show. I got to ask the question, though. Why do you follow people on social media if you're not going to interact with them? I just want to ask the question to everybody listening to the Some Dude Show right now with Cuffs the Legend. Why do you follow people on social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any social media site? Why do you follow people on social media if you're not going to interact with them? I mean, we all have some little lurky tendencies. I got to admit, we all lurk from time to time. You know, we scroll on people's pages. We scroll the timeline. We stalk their timeline sometimes. We look at their stories sometimes. I got to admit, we all have little lurky tendencies. But some of y'all little lurkies, <laughs> y'all are flat out stalkers. Yes. Flat out stalkers. Have you ever been out in public? I know this happened to some of y'all. I know it's happened to me. Have you ever been out in public and you ran into someone who follows you on social media and they immediately start reciting your posts verbatim? This shit is kind of creepy, bro. Like I haven't seen you since high school. And the first time you see me out in public, you start talking about my tweets. You start talking about other posts I made on Instagram. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate the love. It's kind of flattering. I'm flattered by you following me. I'm flattered that you monitor my life that much. I'm kind of humbled and creeped out that I matter that much to you. But the question I got to ask you is, little lurky, all you little lurkies, I got to ask the question to y'all. Why don't you like anything? Why don't you comment on anything? Why do you hide in the bushes so much? But you can post dope content every day, but they never say a word to you. They never interact with you on social media. But the first time you post something that offends them or triggers them in any type of way, now they want to type the whole Gettysburg address in your comments. Now they triggered. 
Now you ruffle their fucking feathers. Fuck your feathers, little lurky. You hear that? You hear that silence? Hold on. You hear that? You hear those crickets? That's the sound of all your bitter exes and all your biggest critics lurking in the shrubbery. I see you, little lurkies. I see you. See, one thing about the little lurkies, the little lurkies, they don't like to see you winning, man. The little lurkies, they get quiet as fuck when they see you winning. When you're losing or it looks like you're losing in life, in whatever way, they want to gossip about you. You the talk of the town. Everybody want to talk about you. They want to gossip about you. But when you start winning out this motherfucker, when you start ascending, the little lurkies get quiet. They get real quiet, little lurky. And let me say this loud and clear. Let me say this loud and clear right now on the Some Dude Show. Stop trying to give me props in private, man. Have you ever seen a florist deliver flowers to a woman's job in the back door? Nah, they come through the front door because her boyfriend, fiance, husband, significant other, partner, they wanted everybody to see those fucking flowers. They wanted everybody to see that appreciation they have for their significant other. We always talk about giving people their flowers while they can still smell them. You're full of shit. Because when we give people their flowers, what do they call us? Oh, man, you a groupie, man. Oh, you a dick rider. What? I can't appreciate greatness. Every time we try to give somebody their flowers while they're alive, we get called all type of names. But soon as somebody die, it's rest in peace. Everybody racing to the Internet. People posting old texts they had, old conversations they had with people that just died. Y'all full of shit, man. Y'all little lurkies. Y'all are full of shit. You remember back when Kevin Durant called me an average fan on Twitter last year? It was actually kind of funny. <laughs> it was actually kind of humorous because everybody knows I'm far from an average fan. You don't get in some of the positions I'm in by being an average fan. You don't talk to some of the people that I talk to every day of my life being an average fan. So I just want to say to all the little lurkies out there, you're doing a magnificent job of shutting the entire fuck up. Keep lurking. Keep lurking, little lurky. Because I see you. We see you. I see you lurking with your lurking ass.
Yeah, that's right. You better walk away. Go on, walk away, because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Some Do Show with Cuffs the Legend. The spiciest basketball podcast in the entire world. I said the spiciest. My next guest hails from Raleigh, North Carolina via Boston. He's won three. One, two, three. He's won three MEAC regular season championships. Four MEAC tournament championships. Four NCAA tournament appearances. I mean, this guy had his neighborhood park renamed after him in Raleigh, North Carolina recently. He's one of the brightest young stars in the college basketball coaching world. CIAA Hall of Famer. The pride and joy of Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the Some Do Show. Coach Lavelle Moten. What's happening, man? What? I need I need to take you everywhere I go with it like that. <laughs> like Michael Buffer, like Michael Buffer, right? <laughs> no doubt about it. I appreciate you having me on, man. man I'm I, proud of the work it, you're doing, man. Love the podcast too. I I'm really appreciate it. I really appreciate that. Uh, tell y'all a funny story real quick. Uh I was at uh an AAU basketball tournament this summer, uh coaching my girls team, and I bumped into this guy and I, I came up to him. He didn't know who I was from a man from you no know, from a man on the moon. I was like, yo, I got a show I'm working on. I, I would love to have you on, my brother. And he told me straight up right then, let's do it. So we here with Lavelle Moten right now on the no Some Dude Show. I got to ask you, so tell me how does it feel? How does it feel to ride through your old neighborhood in Raleigh and see a park with your own name on the sign? Man, it's surreal because, man, for, for several reasons, man, like, you know, when you grow up how I grew up, so many people that helped you along the way that didn't get the credit that they deserved. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean like everybody, man, like, because I literally grew up with nothing. So any, if, if anyone gave me a bag of Cheetos, right. I blessed that bag of Cheetos. I said my grace before I ate that bag of Cheetos. That's how real things were for us. I had the local drug dealers in the neighborhood that gave me five, ten dollars and sponsored my AAU trips. I had elderly women that, you know, I had fish fries and sold sandwiches so I could have school pitches or team basketball shoes. Oh. And so in the midst of all, you know, your successes, those little things can easily get lost. So it's surreal to go back and see your name on it because it's just a representation of the investment of everything else around your community, man. So I, I it's my name, but it's really them that's invested so much in me, man. So it's, it's, it's crazy. I still call it the Lane Street Park. There's no way I can say the Lavelle Moton Park. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, that's crazy a, to me. That's that's a phenomenal honor, man. I know you got to be really humbled and blessed by that situation. Growing up, you went to Enloe High School. Some great players yeah. came through there. Can you talk oh. about your experience growing up in Raleigh and playing high school basketball in Raleigh? Man, the craziest thing, and and I told someone this story yesterday. A lot of people don't don't know this story. I came out of Daniel's Middle School. 
and I lived right down the border, right? So I could have went to any high school in Raleigh pretty much, and, and some of it would have been like a magnet school at the time. When I came out of eighth grade, every coach, every high school coach recruited me except for one coach, and that was Preston McLean at Enloe and Frank Williams, who was the JV coach at Enloe. Neither one of them ever said a word to me, right? Meanwhile, I'm getting all this, these promises at Broughton High School, at Millbrook, you know, at, at every high school, they promising me, man, come on, the ball is yours from day one and so on and so forth. Now, in Low High, Coach McLean, God rest his soul, and Coach Williams, they had this tradition. You run five miles every single day, Cuff, before practice. Ooh, right? five, five miles. miles five did did y'all do the, Let me ask you, did y'all do the Indian run? Y'all remember the Indian run? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, you got the, the last man get up <laughs> yeah, in the front. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we did all that, right? But it was it was given five miles before every practice, right? And if it was raining outside, you did 125 laps around the gym before practice, right? And so that kind of eliminated a lot of people right then, right? And so, again, Enlo was the only school that didn't recruit me. And when it came down to me making a decision, I chose Enlo. Because I wanted that work. I wanted, I knew I needed a father figure. I need. I knew I needed discipline. I knew I needed someone to watch over me and show me the blueprint and the template. So I went to Enloe High School, man, and I wanted to follow in the footsteps of someone that's like my older brother who's coaching the Atlanta Hawks now, Nate McMillan, right? And so just seeing Nate do what he did and, and blaze a trail, I said I want to do exactly what that guy did. So I was fortunate enough to have him and be able to utilize him as a blueprint. And from the day I got there, my thing was I want to break everybody's record. Danny Young, who played with the Portland Trail Blazers, who I went to Enlo, Nate McMillan, Jim Dillard, um, Gerald Peacock, Anthony Rogers, all those great basketball players that came before me. I said I want to break everyone's record and be the all-time leading scorer. And so I was able to do that, man. So Enlo was – really incredible for me. It really gave me a, a boost of confidence to to let me know that I could compete across the globe, honestly, with anyone. Yeah, I see that you have your mural unveiling ceremony mm-hmm. in downtown Raleigh yeah. coming up soon. Uh, I think it's, yeah. what, next week? Uh, Friday. It's this Friday. Friday. Okay. So, yeah, the 10th. So what's the backstory behind you getting your own mural in the city of Raleigh? Man, it's crazy. It's really weird, man. Um, it was truly a blessing because, you know, some elected officials and city council, they came to me and they said, look, man, we want to name the street after you. And I was like, I don't want a street named after me. I didn't even grow up in that part of town. Like, so that was, I was like, nah, I don't want that. I ain't tripping off that. And then they came back later. They really contacted people on my team and they said, look, what would he think about having a mural? Because in the midst of all this gentrification, the community was complaining that none of the legacy of those historic black historic communities was being preserved. It was just rich people moving in, flipping old homes into million dollar homes and the history is gone and the people being displaced. So next thing I know, the community went up and they got like over 1500 signatures and said, we want Lavelle Moton to have a mural in Southeast Raleigh. (laughs) And next thing I know, they called me into a meeting. They said, would you like this? And they showed me like a, a kind of like a rough draft of what the, template or or the collage would look like and I said man I don't want that because it was just a bunch of pictures of me I was like man I don't want to be looking at myself and I don't want people driving by looking at me you know what I'm saying I said if I have a mural you know it's dope but let it be an inspiration and serve as an inspiration to the smaller generation the younger generation the children and the families who are in in at-risk situations who feel like they're hopeless who feel like they don't have a voice 
the outcasts, the underdogs, the least of the respected. I want something that represents all of them. And so um, I had a graphic designer go to work on it named Adam Williams. Shout out to Adam. He's an incredible guy. And uh, we went back and forth. And so I was able to include, you know, aspects of the community that kind of shaped and helped me, you know, along the way with the boys club and, um, you know, all of the schools that I went to. My grandmother, God rest her soul, my mom, my brother, um, you know, my kids, you know. So 20 years from now, my kids can see this and say, wow, my daddy gave us a name, man. Like I was when I was a kid. We had this guy on the block called one. We, I don't even know his government name. We just called him one time. Right? <laughs> one time. Yeah, everybody. Everybody got the crazy nicknames. I, I know a guy. I know a guy to this day, Lavelle. I don't. I do not know his real name, but we call him Baby Food Stamp. That's his nickname. Baby Food Stamp. Right? We called this guy one time. I was like, yo, we don't. I don't even know his name. But what happened was he would be on the the corner like pan, pantling money or whatever. But you had to put some change in his bucket. And he would give you a quarter of the day. Right. And so one day he told me, he said, man, do you know your great grandfather's name? And I said, nah, he said, do you know who he is? And I said, nah, he said, you know why? I said, why? He said, cause he ain't leave you nothing. Oh. And it blew me away at 10 years old. You know what I'm saying? And he wasn't trying to be disrespectful towards my family or anything, but the message that he was conveying was just legacy. You're going to be right. You're going to be in a position to leave somebody something. And what are you going to do with that? So from that moment on at a young age, I always thought about my name, right. And what it meant. Right. And you know, your mom probably told you, like my mom told me, all you got is your, your, your word and your name. Don't come messing up my name. And you know, it was those little things that we ain't really get. Man, my dad, my kids. dad, we're so serious about our family name. I, I've had altercations with people that try to disrespect my kids in certain ways. Like I'm so heavy on legacy. Yes, man. Yes. And that's that's the thing. So the mural, it carries the name Moten, right? And I used to hate school the first couple of days because the teachers used to butcher my name. Nobody could say my name or spell my name. I would have to repeat my name. And Moten just wasn't a hot name that was revered. No, nah, it, like it, it was just you and uh, Lawrence Moten from uh, Syracuse. Right. There you go. We were the <laughs> only two. You know what I'm saying? And, and so... It was the only way you knew how to pronounce our name is because we eventually had some successes. But as a kid, when you're eight, nine years old going to school, they were tearing my name up. So I was like, man, I just want to be able to leave my kids a name where they can have a platform and, and and get expedited in the world and get some kind of privilege in the world the same way everyone else has. You know what I'm saying? Like we look at all these brands. We look at Jordan. We look at Wells Fargo. We look at Rose Voice. We look at Kraft. Their names, their family names. names, family names, family names that they done turned into brands. So I was like, yo, that's the first thing into changing my name into a brand where it can be respected amongst our family. Because if anybody was going to ever create generational wealth in our family and respect in our family for our family name, I knew that burden was going to be on me. So you you have your family, your family legacy with Moten. Uh, you have your mm-hmm. own name on your own park now. You have the mural right. coming up. You also released the eight-part docuseries called Why Not Us. It was produced mm-hmm. by Chris Paul and, and guys like Stephen A. Smith. Um, mm-hmm. That that docuseries showcased you know the rich basketball tradition of North Carolina Central, and you helped mm-hmm. cultivate that, I feel like. You was one of the main right. guys uh, blazing that trail. So yeah. what was the inspiration behind Why Not Us, the docuseries? Man, it was crazy. I was on the phone one day. Um, me and Big Perk, shout out to Kendra Perkins. Me and Perk was just talking. I was giving him some advice because he was he was going through some stuff. And um, 
maybe 10 minutes after that, I said, Perk, I'll hit you right back. It was a call from Chris. And Chris Chris was with OKC at the time. So it might have been like two years ago, you know, the end change or whatever. And Chris was like, yo, man, I got this incredible idea. Don't sign with anybody else. And I was like, what you talking about? He was like, man, we got to do this documentary. I got this thing called Why Not Us Coming. You know, um, we're going to find a home for it, but don't sign with anyone else. I was like, all right, cool. He said, man, I'm going to hit you when I get back from this bubble. He goes to the bubble the same week. Um Serena Williams production company hit me up. Grant Hill, uh, Steph Curry, KD hit me up with 35 inches, him and Rich. Right? I'm like, why are all these people calling? You know what I'm saying? And so it was on the heels of the George Floyd thing. If you remember how sensitive that was. Yeah, during the, yeah exactly. During the era, you know, so it was kind of like everybody wanted to kind of do something on the HBCU for the racial and social climate and see what's really happening and so on and so forth. But I ended up settling with Chris because, you know, I've known Chris since Chris was probably like eight, him and CJ since they were eight, nine years old. So when he came back from the bubble, I ended up signing with him. And probably a week later, we on the phone with Bob Iger of Disney and ESPN, and they got the deal done. And, you know, they said, my only thing was, look, man, I, I, I'm i not a reality show guy. I ain't going to be Stevie J. Shout out to Stevie J. <laughs> but I ain't going to be up here, you know, playing myself. And look, man, y'all got to get your edit button because I coach how I coach and I do what I do. And I got to be who I am every single day. And they say, that's all we want you to be. And so it was for eight episodes, man. And people loved it. They gravitated to it. It was a difficult year for us because we was going through COVID. And, it, but people didn't even care about the basketball part. People just wanted to be, you know, see behind, peek, take a peek behind those curtains. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the people real life. Goes the on. real life, yeah, Lavelle Moe. The real deal. There you go, the real deal. And so I said, yo, this is what we have to do at HBCUs. This is how we coach our kids. And this is how we try to nurture and develop them to prepare them to put them in this world when that ball stopped bouncing out there. So it was, it was rave reviews, man. And, you know, the ratings went through the roof and everybody tended to love it. So you're on the Some Do Show right now with Coach Lavelle Moton from North Carolina Central University. And, I, and we, we're talking about HBCUs and the Why Not Us docuseries. So let me ask you, Lavelle, what's one of the biggest misconceptions or myths about HBCU basketball? That we don't have good players and good coaches, mm. right? And, and, and that's the thing, man. And, and Cuff, honestly, man, it gets so disrespectful sometimes, right? And, you know, it's, it's a lot of things but it all falls under the umbrella of they don't really think you're good enough. Like, why is that? Like, why is that? It's a crazy thing when you really think about that. Like, why? What's the difference? It's bananas, man. You know what You know what it is? And, and I'll just be completely honest with you. Yeah, yeah. You're on the Some Do show now. This is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we're going to kick it, right? Like, this world has done a remarkable job of racial programming. Oh, man. Right? Talk about it. And, and what I meant is so deep, right? It's so deep. But what I mean by that is our people have been seduced into believing that anything that don't look like us is better. You follow what I'm saying? Oh. Anything that don't look like us is better, right? Um, and I'll, I'll say this. Let's start with the, the historical context of America. Right. Like when you were a kid and your tooth fell out and they told you to put your tooth under that pillow because a tooth fairy was going to come. That tooth fairy ain't look like you. 
You follow what I'm saying? That Easter bunny didn't look like you. <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> right? Santa Claus didn't look like you. Shout you out to all the black Santas. Shout out to all the black Santas in the mall, man. I shout see out, you. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to all the black Santas getting ready to, to go on tour. Yeah, because I heard, I heard they had a, a Santa shortage. I saw that on the news. They have a Santa shortage. So <laughs> sign up, fellas. There's <laughs> a Santa shortage out here, right? But I, I think about this, right? When I was a kid, like living in the hood, we only had three channels, right? And I used to sit with my grandma and watch Tarzan. Right. This world convinced us that Tarzan was the king of Africa. You follow what I'm saying? And oh, like, yeah. he never really said anything. But when he encountered some Africans along the way, people cheered for Tarzan to defeat the Africans. You follow what I'm saying? Mm. Like, here's another one. And I tell people this. The two highest grossing sports movies of all time is Blindside Right, and we already know why Blindside is the highest. I, I still never seen the movie, but it's the highest grossing movie, yet, sports movie ever, right? Because it's a white woman coming in to save a black man. Yeah, right? yeah, right. And then think about this: the second movie, the highest grossing movie of all time, is Rocky. Right. <laughs> right. I thought you. I thought you was gonna say Hoosiers. Right. It's Rocky. Right. So think about this for a second. If I ask anybody, the goat of all goats of athletes, nine people out of ten will say Muhammad Ali because everybody loved Ali and what he stood for, right? But when you look at Rocky, the the, the character Apollo Creed was based off Muhammad Ali, yeah, right? Yeah, the charisma, the showboat, yeah, same thing. There you go, it, it, right? And, and, and Rocky was a guy by the name of Chuck Webner. You weren't cheering for... Um, Apollo Creed and Rocky. You were cheering for Rocky, right? They convinced you that a white man Yo, running through the streets of Philadelphia hitting baby back ribs with a theme song connected to it <laughs> is the person to cheer for. This is and good stuff. you don't stuff. even know it. Subconsciously, you're cheering for a guy that... <laughs> five foot, you're cheering for a guy five to knock out seven. your hero. Five foot seven. Right. Heavyweight. Five foot seven to <laughs> knock out your hero, Muhammad Ali. And so we've been brainwashed, and it's going on and on and on and on. So now these high-profile recruits, it's difficult, them, it's difficult for them to select an HBCU because they never grew up idolizing and respecting something that looked like them because this world historically hasn't showed us that's the way to go. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's tough. Look up, it's, it's so deep, man. It's, it's, it's so deep. And so it just carries over. And now we got great coaches in HBCU basketball. But when we do something, it's like, okay, go do it again. Man, we got four in, – in 11 years here, we got four regular season titles, four tournament championships. It's almost like winning the Indianapolis 500 with a Honda Accord. But we spoke about this privately, but – we got to put this on the show because a lot of important people listen to this. Some do show right now. We got to get North Carolina Central in the LeBrons. We got to get them in the LeBrons. We got, we got, we got to get that. We got to get that because he, what he did for FAMU was incredible. I was like, man, if we can, woo, incredible that deal right there, incredible, God Almighty, that deal right there, come on, in so, Tobacco Road country. Oh, that's incredible. It's incredible. Nobody's ever done that. So we got to work on that. I'm gonna try my best to put a word in here and there. We got, we got to make that happen. So you're from Raleigh, sure. North Carolina. You know, Raleigh, North Carolina, we call it the hoop state, North Carolina as a whole. But Raleigh, North Carolina has always been like a gritty place as far as hoopers. You know, we produce guys. I say we because I'm from Johnston County, just a few miles outside of Raleigh. So, you know, we yes, produce sir. we produce guys like Pistol Pete Maravich, you know, Nate McMillan, mm-hmm. P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker, Chris mm-hmm. Wilcox, 
Shavlik Randolph, John Wall, T.J. Warren, Devontae Graham, Graham. yeah, so Raleigh, North Carolina has, in my opinion, kind of been underrated compared to places like Kinston, you know, Charlotte, Greensboro. Those places get a lot of national attention for producing pros and just overall good basketball players, great basketball players. But I got to ask you, what's different about Raleigh Hoopers compared to the other parts of North Carolina? You know, a lot of those hoopers that you named, the crazy thing is we're all from the same block, mm. right? And so... What block? What block? Lane Street, South Side. Oh, you know, okay. all, all of us from that same side, you know, the Lane Street, Jones Street, Heck Street, Davy Street. That's a three-block radius amongst all of us, right? So you got myself, Nate McMillan, P.J. Tucker, John Wall, Devontae Graham, you know, Jerome Robbs, like that's six dudes right there just from that four block radius. They ain't even a city. That's just like, yo, I can walk to your house, you can walk to mine and da da da. I think the one thing that they all have in common, especially when you watch them play, they all have a chip on their shoulder. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So I th- I think Raleigh that's that particular place in Raleigh and we were all raised by the same dude, Ron Williams. Shout out Ron Williams at the boys club, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He, he raised us all, and he never told none of us that we were good coming up. You know what I'm saying? So tough that, love, tough looking, love. Oh, my goodness. If you was looking for that validation, you won't go get that. You know what I'm saying? Like, even after 35, 40-point games, he telling you how trash you are and what you could have, should have, would have done. Right? That's what's missing. And, that's what's missing in today's game, absolutely I feel like. The OGs. Everybody, the real OGs. The real ones who don't have their palms out waiting to – just pacify you so they can get something in return. You see what I'm saying? And, and this guy, he ain't never asked nobody for nothing except for a ticket to a game possibly. You follow what I'm saying? But we was raised by cats like that, and all those guys have a chip on their shoulder. When you watch P.J. play, when you watch John play, when you watch Tay play, when you watch me play, when you watch T- like all those guys, we, we all had chips on our shoulders because we were always – in desperate need of trying to prove ourselves, so it seemed. Regardless of the accolades, regardless of our positions, we try to prove ourselves. And we'll fight you. <laughs> to, so to, so to who's a guy? Spot. So give me a guy. Give me a guy that I didn't name that's mm-hmm. probably the most underrated Raleigh Hooper that you probably ever played against or ever saw in person. Woo! Man, I'm going to tell you. My idol growing up was a guy – by the name of Gary Madison. I heard right. I, Athens Drive or Broughton. Brought, I heard Broughton. I heard a lot of stories about Gary Madison. Man, let me tell you this, man. Again, from that same block radius, he let me tell you this. Gary Madison was I think Gary came out in 87, 88, somewhere around there. All right. So Put this in perspective. There's no three point line in high school back then. Yeah, right? that, yeah it was Jerry West. Game. It was Jerry West. No three point line. Right. No, no three point line. Right. Gary averaged 29 points a game. It's only 32 minutes in a high school game. That's buckets. He averaged he averaged 29 points a game. But dig this cuff. His punishment his senior year at Broughton because he got in some trouble. So instead of kicking them off the team, they just said, you can't play the first quarter of every game. <laughs> That's, so it. Think about That's it. That's it. That's it. So homie played 24 minutes a game with no three-point line and averaged 29. That year that he came out, um, Robert Brick, I don't know if you remember Robert Yeah, from Brick, Duke. Yeah, yeah. Went to Duke. 
Robert Bricky was the state player of the year. He's from Fayetteville, he I played, think, yeah. From Fayetteville. He played against Gary in the regionals. Gary scored 46 on him. Mm, and Bricky right? was, Bricky, like, and Bricky was Bricky tough. Bricky was cold. Bricky was cold. Gary killed him. It, it wasn't even close. Okay, Bricky go. I mean, uh, Gary takes Broughton to the state championship game at the Dean Dome. It's my first time as a kid going into the Dean Dome. Like I'm, like, we out the hood. We just cheering for Gary. Oh, like, I, I remember. Crazy, I remember right? my first time going to the state championship. Man, it was incredible. <laughs> crazy, right? They start off. They down thirteen nothing. But again, we thinking the coach gonna put Gary in because it's state championship now. Forget that little punishment. Nope. He kept Gary on the bench. First quarter, you can't play. Gary comes in the second quarter. They down like 15, 15 to 2 or something. Gary goes on a 14-point run by himself. You know what I'm saying? So Gary ended up scoring. The, I think he scored 31, the last play of the game. Um, Broughton get their shot blocked, and they didn't go to Gary, and West Charlotte win the championship. But long story short, that was the first time I ever seen Jimmy V come to our hood recruiting somebody, mm. right? This was back in that day. I was like, yo, that's Jimmy V. Like, we we wilding out, right? So, Gary, academically, he had to go to Shawan. Shawan was a junior college at this time. Yeah, my cousin played right? for Shawan. Tabaris Hamilton. Hamilton. This is back in, like, the early 90s. Now, dig this. Shawan's all-time leading scorer is Gary Madison. Gary Madison went to Shawan for two years. <laughs> oh, that's, co- about it. that's, coach, uh, that's coach. That's Coach Bob Burke, I think. Bob Burke. Bob Burke. Yep. Bob Burke, Gary led the nation in scoring as, in, in JUCO after two years. Mm. He tried to go back to NC State, couldn't get back in academically. Now he goes to St. Augustine's. His first eight games at St. Aug, he's averaging 47 points a game. Mm. Cold-blooded, <laughs> man. Like, I've never seen – he's better – he was better than all of us. My cousin is Donald Williams that played – shout out to Bulls. Yeah, yeah. Played at North Carolina. One of, the best, one of the best floaters ever, Donald Williams. Absolutely. He was better than everybody. You know what I'm saying? And so I learned so much from him. But if I had to give you one underrated hooper in Raleigh history, it's Gary Madison, man, the coldest, the coldest basketball player ever. So let me ask you this question, Lavelle. We on the Some Do Show right now with Cuffs the Legend with my guest Lavelle Moten from North Carolina Central University. Which one is more stressful? Mm-hmm. Being a basketball coach, a college basketball coach at that, Mm-hmm. Or being a basketball dad? Hmm. Definitely the coach. Definitely a coach. Because you're responsible for human beings and lives that you really can't control. Mm-hmm. Good point. You understand? Like, that's, that's, that's really, really hard. You're responsible for the decisions of their parents once they get to you. So whatever foundation that their parents have, 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 have laid down, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, or conducive to your belief and your value system, you have no control of them, right? Because you can't spank your kid. You can't spank their kid. You can't touch their kid, right? You can't, right? Your means of discipline and suspending them or whatever, whatever. But you know, like, when people get to college, they're going to do what they want to do, right? For the most part, right? It's It's a new world. As a basketball dad, that's easy because I control the foundation of my son. Right. So he knows right from wrong. I know the mores and values. And I told him from day one, you don't have to be a basketball player. Like, I don't want you going down that road. I tried to push him towards baseball because a lot of people, everybody that know me know I was a much better baseball player than I was a basketball player. Oh, what position? What position? Shortstop and pitcher. Okay. Right. And then they know I was a much better quarterback than I was a basketball player. Like basketball was my third best sport. 
You see what I'm saying? And so that's, I ain't want to push him to that. That's crazy. But naturally, yeah, naturally he wants to be around it. And so I just want to be dad to him. So I go sit in the stands and, you know, just chill. And I just watch my son play, and I love that aspect of it because he don't play the game for the same reason I had to play the game. I had to play the game to take care of my family, to make it, to get my mom out the hood. All that was going to be shouldered upon me. He ain't he ain't got to do that. You know what I'm saying? So what he would, can just go ahead and enjoy it. So what would, what was it like standing on the sideline just a couple of weeks ago coaching against somebody that you probably idolized and admired from mm-hmm. afar, Penny Hardaway? What was it like standing on the sidelines together? I thought that was one of the dopest moments, man, You know, being a yeah. black coach myself and being involved. I got my own gym, so I do a lot of basketball-related stuff. But you brothers are like role models to me because I'm from North Carolina. I saw you back on – I think you won the Extra Effort Award, bro. That's how good yeah. my memory is. Like, yeah. So this is the, that's the Tom Suter day, so it's kind of full yep. circle seeing you, yep. seeing you in a picture with Penny Hardaway – and I wore his phone was my first game of my senior year. So to see you two guys on the same sideline, how did that feel for you? Man, it was crazy, man, because at the it used to be called the Holiday Tournament. It's the John Wall Tournament. Yeah, the Glaxo. It used to be called the, the Glaxo. Glaxo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Glaxo. And then it was – first it was the Holiday. Then it was the Glaxo. They changed the name. Whoever got the most money for sponsorship. But I was in seventh grade, and my godfather took me to that gym. And it was packed. And the headliners was Penny, Sean Bradley, and Rodney Rogers, right? And Penny was about to play. I remember it was the last game, Jim packed. And my godfather said, I don't want you to watch the game. You just watch number 25. And number 25 was Penny. And they threw it up, and they started every game like the same way. They would win the jump ball, and he would pull from the hash mark. Every, I was like, what in the world? Like, it was, he, he'll shoot a 30-footer, the first play of the game, every play. And I was like, yo. And after that, I just fell in love with the dude, man. I was like, because everybody was on Mike, and I love Mike too, but I couldn't do what Mike did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, no. I'm, yeah, I yeah. Jump on no line, you know? So that's wasting my time to try to be like Mike because I couldn't. I was trying to find somebody that I could possibly mimic. And at the time, I was a smaller point guard, real, real thin, right? And, but I just loved to distribute the ball at that time. And Penny was just one of those dudes that I just loved his demeanor. I just, I just fell in love with his game. And it just grew and grew and blossomed and blossomed. And, you know, we just became good friends in, in the coaching business, right? And so it's crazy when, you, when your idols become your friends. And, you know, we've been trying to schedule a game for the longest. He's like, man, when you coming to Memphis and just so happened – my boy, she went out there, and so we all just had dinner, and Penny came to practice, man, and, you know, the photographer took a couple of shots, and he sent it to me, and I was like, yo, you don't even know what this means to me because I never had a picture with Penny, right? And so I'm not one of them arrogant dudes where I don't give it up for the people that paved the way before me. You know what I'm saying? I think it's corny to get around people that really inspired you and then try to act like... Yeah, exactly. I man, yeah, like, I no, can't, I tell everybody, I, look, bro, you don't know what you meant to me, man. Thank you, because I was from nothing. I came from the gutter, and you gave me inspiration, and you gave me hope, so thank you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so Michael B. Jordan, the actor Michael B. Jordan, is putting mm-hmm. together a great event for HBCU basketball for the holidays. Uh, we yes, got the, It's called the Hoop Dreams Classic. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be played at the Prudential Center, I think, in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. North Carolina yep. A&T will take on Howard. And your North Carolina Central Eagles, I think y'all playing Hampton, right? Y'all Hampton. playing Hampton? Yep. So talk a, little, talk a little bit about how you felt when you found out about this uh, Hoop Dreams Classic that Michael B. Jordan is putting on. 
Man, crazy thing. We under the same agency, right? WME. Shout out to uh, WME. And my agent last year is crazy. That call that I got from Chris Paul, a couple of days later, Michael B. Jordan called, right? Because I told you around that time, everybody and their mama was calling to try to do something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Know, with, yeah. Killed amongst the masses or, you know, whatever. You know how it go. And so I was like, man, we just kind of flooded right now. Let's 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 try it. You know, when, when this thing, this pandemic get clear and, you know, everybody get their minds back right. And he said, all right, cool. And so he said, what you think about this date? And he said, I want to do it in my hometown and so on and so forth. So we all on a conference call and I was like, cool. And, you know, it was just easy to get Hampton, Auntie and Howard along with it. And, you know, they got the Kamala Harris thing. Yeah, you know what's... <laughs> you a fool. I just had to bust out laughing on, on that one. But shout out to Kamala. But uh, he got everybody involved, you know, and they, they just want... He wanted the best event to kind of get these kids a platform. And, you know, he got TNT involved as well, man. So, you know, my agent had a lot to do with putting it on, too, with the WME. And, you know, hopefully it'll be a great event, man, that could, you know, serve as a platform and a foundation for many years to come and give others that platform, too, so they can see a great brand of HBCU basketball. Yeah, we definitely going to be tuning in to the Hoop Dreams Classic. Lavelle Moten, there it is. I appreciate you coming through out of your taking time out of your busy schedule to come on to some do show with Cuff the Legend, man. I really appreciate it, my brother. Man, I love how you moving, man. I look, man, just is is you a trendsetter, bro. And and you know, before I go, I just want to say thank you for having me on, man. You know, real recognized, real All day. I love what you speak about. You know, I love what you stand on. I love your principle, your value system, man, and, and you know, it's it's rare. They don't make them like that no more. You know, everybody want to follow the crowd and follow the masses and follow the lead and tiptoe and walk on eggshells and not say how they really feel, man. And I just appreciate everything that you're doing, man, with the hilarious content, and, <laughs> but the real content. Yeah, too, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, it's, it's real with, with a touch of humor, and that's what the world needs, man. So keep doing what you do with them young men and young women, and much love and respect as well, bro. I appreciate you, brother. No doubt. Right. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, there you have it. Another episode of the Some Do Show with Cuffs the Legend. Make sure you go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the show. 